Amen. Um, well, uh, hopefully you are joining us along in the um, Immerse series. If you're not, that's, that's, that's no problem. But we're going to be speaking on um, Judges and, and Ruth this morning. Um, we're reading the whole book of Judges and Ruth this week. Um, to one quite heavy book and one slight, li- slightly lighter. Um, I don't know about your family, if you have stories in your family. Um, my family has a few. Um, like the time I tried to... I thought the goldfish was thirsty, so I gave him some diluting juice. Um, I was about three at the time. Um, or the time one of our tractors in the farm caught fire, and the fire brigade came to our house, and me and my sister slept through it, so we never saw the fire, fire brigade. We were raging. Or Abby's family. Abby's family has some... And my wife, she, they have some great stories. Um, like the time a budgie, uh, the, her grandest budgie got loose on a bus... And he said, the budgie's loose, the budgie's loose. And someone thought he said, a bomb. So they said there was a bomb in the bus. So they stopped and they evacuated the bus because of a budgie. Um, or the time her, her granny's dog had puppies in the footwell of the car on the way to Benone Beach. Um, or the time her granda just decided one day, I'm going to stow away on a boat and move to England for a year. Um, and there's some other, Abby call, used to call them the bad boy stories. She said, ask her daddy, Tell me a bad boy story. Um, but lots of the times um, in their family, when, when we hear a story, um, they say, Mark, you haven't heard this one. And I'm thinking, I definitely have heard this one. Because it's the same old stories um, again and again. Now, this book of Judges particularly is the same old stories again and again. It's the repeating pattern of the people of God turning away from him, turning to other gods and to sin, um, letting them live in their sin, and then God punishes them by letting the nations that they were supposed to drive out overtake them. Then they repent, and God gives them a deliverer and a judge. Each time we see that God is faithful and true and just, that he brings them back again, um, but they just fall and fail again. I'm going to say this lots um, this morning, but this book isn't meant to be, oh, look at those silly Israelites, but it's meant to be a mirror on our own lives and to show us how quickly we turn from God and go our own ways. If you're reading it this week, this um, next part might be a bit helpful in terms of the structure of the book and how it's made, um, how it's made up. The book just starts off with Joshua having passed away and the people of Israel are left alone and they're sort of trying to do what they told God they were going to do. They're trying to take over the land and put out the other nations that are in the land, but most of them leave lots of people in the land. It gives a big long list of the nations that they were supposed to drive out, but they didn't. Um, And we read Joshua and sometimes can see that it's quite difficult, but then we see in Judges the reason why they were supposed to drive these people out because of how corrupt the nation of Israel becomes by the end. As we talked about, the, the cycle happens about 12 times within the book with God providing 12 different judges for the people. Three of them start off pretty godly, but it goes good, the bad, and the ugly in the book. There's 12, and the, by the end, the judges are pretty horrendous. Um, and it, we spiral through this um, cycle and, until the nation is pretty much undistinguishable from the nations that they were supposed to be taking over. A really key phrase in the book is Judges 21-25, where it says, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was fit in their own eyes. No king in the land, but, but, but God was supposed to be their king. Judges 8-23, Gideon, who is sort of one of the um, bad 
judges, he's not the ugly ones, but he's one of the bad ones. He, he says, the people ask him if he, if he could be their king, and he says, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will be your ruler. So the nation of Israel was supposed to let God be their king. They were supposed to have a theocracy, um, but they don't follow God. The book spirals into the very end of the book, some really, really difficult reading. So good luck to you halfway through this week. Um, It's going to be quite difficult reading. A brutal sexual assault happens. A civil war breaks out between the nation and a, a tribe is almost exterminated. And the nation, as I said, is indistinguishable from the other nations and doing things like child sacrifice and really other difficult things. This book is meant to mirror our own lives. How much when we are caught in sin and wonder why we're experiencing such difficulty, why it spirals into chaos. But then we read the book of Ruth and book of Ruth is in stark contrast to what we read in the book of Judges. It says at the start of the book, this was set in the time of the Judges. So Boaz, Ruth and Naomi, the main characters of the book, are set in this difficult time where everyone else is being disobedient to God and yet these characters live with loyalty, faithfulness, integrity and obedience to God even in these difficult times. Ruth is a Moabite woman. Um, you'll, if you're reading the book, you, I'll not tell you the whole story, but um, Naomi um, is part of the tribe of Ephraim, um, her and her husband go to Moab. There's a famine and her husband and all her sons die and she's left with herself and her two sister, her daughters-in-law. She says to her daughters-in-law, go back to your home and leave me um, to die. I'm going to go back to my home country. But Ruth says, no, Naomi, I'll never leave you. She goes back to um, her, her hometown of Bethlehem and they're restored by this man who's a relative of Naomi's called Boaz. Ruth, despite being a foreigner, a woman who would have been looked down on in Israel, she sticks with Naomi and serves her no matter what in really difficult circumstances. Boaz um, speaks well to his servants. He speaks well to Ruth and obeys the law in letting her glean from his fields by picking up um, sheaves of wheat and by caring for her, by letting her stay in his fields. If we read the end of Judges and see how dangerous it was to be um, somebody in in that time, and he says, stay in my field because you'll be safe here. We see how significant that is. In light of these last few chapters of Judges, we can see that. But in um, these two books, we see stark contrast between each other. Judges blames the fact that there's no king in the land for why people are misbehaving. And yet Boaz is behaving here. He is living as God intended him to because he had a heavenly king. He knew God's commands and he was obedient to them. Both of these books are designed to point toward King David and even more a deeper sense to the Messiah who is coming. Judges shows how the nation and without a ruler and without a king spirals into disaster. And Ruth shows how the mundane actions of little people like Ruth, Boaz and Naomi um, lead to the lineage of King David and ultimately to our Messiah. If we look even deeper than this, these books are pointing towards us and our sin. Boaz had a king who was God and he was quietly obedient to God throughout his life. And because of that, we read about him today. I wonder if God is king over our lives this morning. 
Does he have our full allegiance? Or are we simply paying him lip service? Coming to church, saying the right things to the right people at the right times? When we read the Old Testament and we read the Israelites, um, in the last few books of Immerse that we've read, or even in this book, we, we say, here they go again. It's the same old story, these Israelites. They turn to God so quickly. The people of Israel turn to God almost immediately after parting the Red Sea. And here again, they've just taken over the land. God's given them the land, and they turn away from God immediately. But how quickly each of us turns away from God when he has been so faithful to us. How quickly we forget the faithfulness that he has shown us and we go our own way. How quickly we are led into sin and into secret sin in our lives. These things that are seeking to destroy us and destroy our families. Romans chapter 7 verse 21 to 25 shows that even the Apostle Paul struggled with this stuff. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body and that is subject to death. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. You may read in the news or in the newspaper of the crazy things, that, the crazy sins that take over people's lives and destroy um, nations and towns and families, but these things never start off, they just don't happen overnight. They start off with small things that creep into our lives and drive us to the big things. You may be saying to yourself in the life that you're living at the minute, I'm not hurting anybody. No one will ever know. I, d I deserve this. Or, sure, it's only a bit of fun. Or, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. The devil wants to use these small things in our lives to destroy our relationships, our families, to destroy our relationships with our work colleagues and our friends, and most importantly, our relationships to God. Your sin is serious. And it's so serious that God sent his son into the world to bear it so that you wouldn't have to anymore. But he didn't die that you could live the same way that you're living now. He died to give you new life, to give you free life, and to give you life in all its fullness. Christian life isn't a one and done. Isn't a, I've decided to follow God and him to be my savior, and I'm done. It involves being a living sacrifice. We read this in The Purpose Driven Life um, last summer, that it's about continually coming to the altar of God and saying, okay, God, what do I have to work on now? What's the next thing? You're in two categories this morning. You are either struggling through the weight of sin and following God and in this battle against sin, or you are pretending like you don't have a sin problem. None of us are outside of these two categories. And if you're struggling with sin today and the weight of sin, if it's overwhelming you and filling you with shame and condemnation, then thank goodness that we have a God who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, or 28, and he says this right after the Sermon on the Mount, which is filled with 
basically impossible tasks that God gives us. He says, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. He says, if you lust after somebody in your heart, you've had an affair. And Jesus says, I know this is impossible, so come to me and we can work on this together. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, right after what he just said earlier on in chapter 7, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So thank the Lord that when we come to him and we confess our failures, that he takes them far away. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our transgressions from us in Psalm chapter 103. Are you on the other side of the spectrum this morning, the other side of the scale? Are you living in secret sin today? Are you pretending like you don't have a problem and living in this blatant, flagrant disobedience to God? Or is it even something that you're not even aware of that God might be challenging you with this morning? Are you struggling with looking at pornography and things online? Are you in the middle of an affair? Are you stealing from your family, your work, your work or your, your colleagues? Are you constantly gossiping and speaking ill of people? Um, you might think, how, how, how would I know? Well, if you said those things in front of the people you're talking about, would they be absolutely devastated? In which case, you are probably slandering them and gossiping. Are you being promiscuous this morning or today in your life? Are you gambling with the mon your family's money in these difficult times and not telling them about it? It's a small list of things that God might be challenging with us with this morning. And we might ask, well, what, what, what's the problem? What's the issue? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. James 1.15 says then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Roman, uh, John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give life in all its fullness. Sin wants to destroy your life. Sin wants to take away all of the joy and beauty from your life. It could be that we don't realize how much it has affected us until we go to glory and we are with the Lord and he says, this is what you missed out on because you didn't deal with that thing. Or it could be that your sin is brought into the open someday and you reap what you sow because of it. We must take our sin seriously. We must take these things seriously and we must bring them into the light and deal with them. And Jesus will help us to do that. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, if you're to, to be in me as a branch, you must bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, then I will prune you. And again, if you don't bear fruit, you will be cast off. I'm not going to speak any more on that, but just the fact that Jesus is going to prune us. He's promised that we are continuing work, that we've got stuff to deal with. And pruning is a drastic, painful process for plants. You, I, I've pruned a little bit on our garden and when you, when you do it, it looks like the, the tree or the bush is almost devastated. And yet it grows back to new life. 
I won't name names, but I've been reading um, this week, just reading up on some particularly church leaders who have let secret sin enter and control their lives. It's come out later on, and it has caused absolute devastation. Sin has persisted for years, and it's destroyed lives, families, and it has hurt the witness of the church. Absolutely harrowing reading, and it will take you a very quick Google to find out some stories of where these things have happened. Sin might cost you everything if you don't deal with it, but Jesus offers us full and new life. Isn't it amazing that the people of Israel get worse and worse and worse, and yet God takes them back time and time again? There's 12 judges in the book of Judges, represents the entire people of Israel, and the fact that God takes them back again and again. I've said this before um, when speaking on a Sunday morning, but um, it's something that I always find extremely challenging, um, but extremely true in my own life, that there is no victory in sin without confession. It says in James 5, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, but it's in reference to confession, to confessing our sins to God. You may be saying, I confess my sins to God all the time, but you might just be confessing your sins to yourself. Confession um, with other people is a really liberating and yet diff- and also difficult thing. What does it look like? Find a close friend, a family member, a spouse, someone that you know is confidential and trustworthy and accountable, someone who will take you up on on your issues, won't just massage your ego, but will challenge you and keep you accountable in future and share what you're struggling with today. If you've confessed and brought it to the Lord and somebody else and faced up to the consequences of your actions, then don't live in shame anymore. Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, if, you confess our, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's supposed to be difficult, but it will bring relief and freedom in your life. How amazing that we have a savior who will take us back again and again. And as he said in, in our passage, that he will keep all of our, his promises to us. No matter what happens to the people of Israel and judges, God continues to keep his promises to them. Now we clearly don't deserve this. I clearly don't deserve this this morning. None of us do, but he has called us worthy through his son, Jesus. A song that we sing on Sunday mornings all the time, my worth, two wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid, at the cross. And that is what Jesus has paid for at the cross. And where do we go to once we're living this life of battling sin? Well, we live after Boaz. First Thessalonians 4 says, make your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Basically, just follow God through your life and live the long obedience in the right direction with him. This week, as you read Judges, um, and it will be difficult if you're reading it in the Immerse group, there'll be lots of questions. 
Um, the book never condones the actions of the people and the judges. Um, people like Samson, who we talk about in Sunday school all the time, who have horrendous actions throughout his entire life. The book doesn't condone their actions, but shows that how God can use these sinful people to change the world and how God can use you and me to do the same. Let it remind us of how gracious God is to us and that he takes us back again and again. And I'll finish with a reading from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sins that that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together.